rogues gallery uncovered. Bad behaviour in period costume. A non-judgmental bacchanalia, exposing the scandalous lives of history's greatest libertines, Lotharios and complete bastards. This podcast contains adult themes, possibly a touch of colourful language, and many, many, many references to dangerous levels of drinking and very risky behaviour. Mad Jack's pissed again. Unlimited funds, constant boredom and a love of port. The short and colourful life of a Regency gentleman who couldn't give a fuck. With Mad Jack Mitten. Before we uncork this week's tale, just a quick reminder to follow or subscribe to this podcast on your platform of choice if you haven't already done so, and visit roguesgalleryuncovered.com to sign up for the newsletter and lots of other roguish extras. And of course, at all times remember, the following tale is written in the present tense of the period in which it's set, and as such may contain attitudes and opinions of the protagonists and their times which would today be considered unacceptable. As I'm not best friends with a party-loving eccentric who died nearly 200 years ago, those attitudes and opinions are obviously not mine. Now, let's have it! Calais, 1832 What kind of maniac tries to cure an attack of the hiccups by setting himself on fire? The answer is lying in a pain and brandy-induced swoon, with half his body the colour of a newly singed bacon hog. But as he deliriously points out, his hiccups have disappeared. John Mitten's remedies for life's little inconveniences are nothing if not suicidally excessive, which is probably why even his closest friends refer to him as Mad Jack. The poor fellow's only 37, but he looks about a hundred years older. A lifetime of biblical boozing, unfettered extravagance and total disregard for personal well-being has left him a sad and bloated wreckage. In his day, however, he was one of England's finest and richest sporting gentlemen, a member of Parliament and the most fearless gambler ever to bet upon the turn of a card. Now, though, he's hiding from a battalion of creditors in a French garret, alongside a woman that he only bumped into a couple of weeks ago on Westminster Bridge and then offered £500 to be his companion. You can't help but feel a little bit sorry for him. Born into more money than God makes, John was heir to Holson Hall in Shropshire and had a wild temperament even as a child. By the age of 10, he had his own pack of hounds and had been nicknamed Mango, King of the Pickles, by his neighbours because he was so willful and full of mischief. He was expelled from one school for fighting with the masters and lasted three days at another before being asked to leave. The long-suffering parade of private tutors that his mother employed valiantly fought to squeeze some knowledge into the head of a lad who clearly wanted none of it, and they were often the victims of his practical jokes. One learned man entered his boudoir at the end of a long day to find a horse which John had led up several flights of stairs staring back at him over the bed linen. Despite having no academic qualifications or inclination, John was accepted at Cambridge University and arrived at the start of term with 2,000 bottles of port to see him through until the holidays. Not surprisingly, he found university life boring and left to travel Europe on the Grand Tour. 
Returning home without any cultural enlightenment whatsoever, he enlisted in the army and spent 1814 in Paris, heroically wearing a handsome uniform while drinking and gambling himself dans une stupeur. The harsh demands of military life not really being for him, he returned again to England and considered a political career. He managed to get himself elected MP for Shropshire by offering £10 to anyone who voted for him. £10,000 later, he took his seat in Parliament, but left after half an hour, never to return, because, as he said, it was full of stuffy old gents doing nothing but talking, and the weather was really nice outside. At the age of 21, he came into his full, enormous inheritance, and from then on had the wherewithal to devote his life to five simple interests. 1. Fighting John was built like a prize fighter and loved nothing more than a good scrap. Once, while out hunting hares, a powerfully built coal miner accidentally disturbed the proceedings and John immediately challenged him to a bare-knuckle boxing match. The two pummeled away at each other for 20 rounds until the miner cried, Uncle! At which Jack gave him 10 shillings and told him to go into town and get himself drunk. On another occasion, Jack thought that it would be amusing to swap clothes with a beggar, ring his doorbell and then plead for charity from his own servants. Not recognising their master, however, the servants tried to throw him off the doorstep, at which point he then attacked them and knocked two to the ground. Still, not really seeing the funny side, or indeed recognising him, they then set the dogs on him. This was probably not much of an issue for John, as when he wasn't sparring with people, he was rumoured to be fond of taking on angry bulldogs with his bare hands. They say that he punched one of the poor mutts to death and held another aloft in his mouth, suspending it above the ground using just the strength of his jaws. 2. Hunting If it flew, walked, crawled or slithered, Mitten would hunt it, but his favourite quarries were foxes and ducks, oh and occasionally rats. When hunting, he always wore light, thin clothing, whatever the weather. Driving rain or freezing snow, his wardrobe hardly changed although he never seemed to mind or indeed notice if his clothes were soaking wet or frozen stiff. The fact that he owned 150 pairs of breeches, 700 pairs of boots and over 1,000 hats meant that he always had something to change into later. That said, he often became so overcome with the excitement of the chase that he'd strip off all of his clothes and continue the hunt with his tackle hanging out, much to his companion's consternation. His sturdy constitution was such that he was known to plunge his horse into the raging torrents of the River Severn in pursuit of one fox and then continue to pursue another even after he'd fallen from his horse and broken several ribs. On many occasions he'd wake up in the middle of the night, decide that he was bored and slip out of the house stark naked but for his favourite gun in order to hunt ducks. Once he'd bagged a few he'd go back to bed. One winter, he parked his naked backside on a frozen lake for an hour while slowly shuffling to where he thought the ducks were hiding. How he never caught a chill, or froze his bollocks off at the very least, I'll never know. 3. Drinking John used to get through eight bottles of the finest port every day. He'd down the first one while he was shaving before breakfast. Since moving to France, he's maintained this routine, only with brandy. 
Supplementing his port diet with wine, ale, hazelnuts and bacon, his almost constant state of inebriation has led to him making some frankly baffling decisions. He once bought a brown bear and a monkey from a travelling show for £35 and installed them at Holson Hall. He named the bear Nell and drunkenly attended his friend Appleby's dinner party sat astride her, dressed in hunting pinks. She angrily bit his calf, but John was magnanimous and refused to punish her. Sadly, when she savaged one of his luckless servants, he had no choice but to have her destroyed. The monkey, though, became a slave to port and would often join Mitten for a tipple. Sadly, he also passed away after mistaking a bottle of boot blacking for a fine vintage and accidentally poisoning himself. While he was in his cups, John was never violent, but his pranks could cause distress. At the end of one evening, his dinner guests, a sour-faced old parson and a local doctor, had said their farewells and were riding home. On a whim, John disguised himself as a highwayman and filled two pistols with powder but no ball before bursting out of the trees in front of them, shouting, Stand and deliver! Inspired by their terrified expressions, he then fired a volley over their heads and chased the pair all the way to Oswestry. On another occasion, he was returning from the Newmarket races, counting his substantial winnings, when he passed out in his carriage with the window wide open. As he snored, a strong gust of wind blew the banknotes out of his hand and scattered several thousand pounds across the Shropshire countryside. This bothered him not a jot. 4. Racing John has no fear of injury. In fact, many say that he actually enjoys having accidents. One certainly needs to be of a stout constitution to share a carriage with him. He drives along winding country lanes at breakneck speed, without knowledge or care of what lies ahead. He once rode his horse straight over a rabbit warren just to see what would happen. He fell off. He also attempted to see if a two-horse gig could clear a toll gate in one jump. It couldn't. And while the two horses strained against their harnesses on one side, he and the wide-eyed owner of the gig remained stranded on the other. His friend, Appleby, tells me that one afternoon they were driving down a country lane when John asked him if he'd ever been in a gig which had overturned. Appleby replied that he hadn't, thank God, to which John shouted, What a damn slow fellow you must have been all your life! and deliberately tipped the pair into a ditch. He was as reckless riding a horse as he was driving a pair. Back in 26, he galloped a fine filly up the staircase of the Bedford Hotel in Leamington Spa, then jumped her from the balcony, over the heads of the stupefied diners below, through the window opposite and out into the street. He did love horses though, and allowed his favourite, Baronet, the run of his house, even curling up with him in front of the fire on cold winter evenings. The less said about his horse Sportsman, who died after John fed him a bowl of mulled port, the better. 5. Spending John inherited a vast sum of money, £60,000 with an annual income of £10,000, and he managed to spend it all and amass vast debts in a little over 15 years. Along with his extravagant eating and drinking and clothes shopping and gambling, John has absolutely no concept of the value of money, and we'd often find banknotes and coin absent-mindedly scattered throughout his estate. 
He also spent vast amounts on his 2,000 dogs and 60 cats, which he fed on steak and champagne and dressed in little costumes. Later in his life, when the bailiffs were knocking at the door, his financial agent told him that he could still remain solvent if he lived on £6,000 a year for the next six years. Huh, I wouldn't give a damn to live on £6,000 a year, he cried, and then fled to France. So here we are. He now has precious little in the way of funds, and if he returns to England, they'll throw him in the fleet. But last night, in the grip of a brandy-sodden attack of the hiccups, he rejected drinking a glass of water upside down or holding his breath, and decided instead to scare the condition away. Taking a lighted candle, he carefully applied it to the hem of his nightshirt, and was immediately engulfed in flames, becoming a hiccuping human bonfire. If we hadn't beat the fire out, he surely would have been consumed, but he seems not to have grasped the danger in which he'd placed himself. I've heard it said that John's life is a series of suicide attempts, and perhaps that's true. Despite all of his japes and hijinks, I don't think he's ever been truly happy, and has spent his entire life searching for some elusive goal that I doubt he'll ever find. He's been married twice, but one wife died and the other ran away. And as for his children, well, apart from tossing them into the air and pelting them with oranges when they were small, he's had little to do with them. I do hope that he doesn't babble out what remains of his life in some prison or sanatorium, but I fear that will ultimately be his fate. As for me, I will endeavour never to hiccup in his presence, particularly if we're sharing a carriage. You probably won't be surprised to learn that Mitten's final days were indeed pretty tragic. He ended up coming back to England in 1833, but with his, what would today have been, £20 million fortune, pissed, gambled and squandered away, he fell victim to his creditors and was sent to the King's Bench prison in Southwark. He died of delirium tremens there in 1834, two years shy of 40. A round-shouldered, tottering, old young man, bloated by drink, worn out by too much foolishness, too much wretchedness and too much brandy. That description was given by his friend Appleby, who was actually a well-known sports writer of the age named Charles James Appleby, who wrote under the pseudonym Nimrod. In one of his many descriptions of Mitten's eccentric ways, Nimrod left this vivid snapshot. How often has he been run away with by gigs? How often struggling in deep water without being able to swim? How was it that he didn't get torn to pieces in the countless street brawls in which he was engaged? On one occasion, he nearly was torn into two pieces at a racecourse meeting in Lancashire, for one gang of thieves took it into their heads to pull Squire Mitten into a house at the very moment when a rival gang of thieves took it into their heads to pull him out of it. In this encounter, neither side won, because the squire's enormous physical strength kept him stationary. And, in the end, one of the gentlemen engaged in the struggle was transported to the colonies as a reward for his violence and the attempted robbery. The squire was constantly riding at dangerous fences, falling off his horse when drunk, driving his tandem at a frantic speed and paying no more attention to crossroads and corners than he did to creditors. Oh, there goes Squire Mitten, the country people would say, when they saw a crazily driven tandem rushing along like the north wind, and they'd raise a cheer 
for the squire was warm-hearted and beloved. Once he galloped at full speed over a rabbit warren to find out if his horse would fall. He found out, rolling over and over, after a time both horse and squire rose to their feet unhurt. The one thing everyone said about Mad Jack, however, was that he didn't have a malicious bone in his alcohol-soaked body. 3,000 people attended his funeral, including old army colleagues, former tenants, servants, friends and convivial drinking acquaintances. There's a pub named after him in Shropshire, the Jack Mitten Inn, or Mad Jack's. I think he'd probably approve. Maybe one day I'll pop in there for a pint myself. One more Mitten fact. Apparently, he was the very first person ever to use the phrase easy come, easy go, which actually suited his attitude to life to a T. Next time on Rogue's Gallery Uncovered. Wank like an Egyptian with Gustave Flaubert in which the self-pleasuring author of Madame Bovary samples the delights and diseases of the mysterious East. I've been saying for a few weeks that I'd love to hear from you about what you think about the podcast and if you've got any suggestions about rogues you'd like to hear me feature and to be honest I was a bit downheartened by the lack of response. Then I realised, while sorting out something on the website, that the contact form at the bottom of the homepage had the send button obscured by another element, so it was actually impossible for anyone to use it. So, mystery solved, possibly. Anyway, my Luddite tech incompetence notwithstanding, I've fixed this, so if you would like to get in touch at roguesgalleryuncovered.com, now you can, and it would be lovely to hear from you. Anyway, that's all for now. Stay roguish, and I'll see you yesterday.